Bah, 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 bah. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, ball, ball, ball. All I hear is ball, so I got a ball. All I do is win, but I had to fall the best part. Was getting up again, waking up again, cause I was how with friends. We be Arctic in a frying pan. What's important, man? You want foil, man? Illuminate and then distorted, man. I'm submerging in, it's a fact. Off the bench from the west side, for the west side, high echelon. Serving them like restaurants. Hey, same, same. We are not the same. Same, same, 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 we are not the same. What's poppin' Hoop fans? Welcome back to another episode of the ISO Podcast. We are on episode 15, so time is moving fast. (laughs) I am your host, Trey Crowder. For all of you who don't know me, if this is your first time tuning in, thank you for taking the time to hear what I got to say. A lot of basketball has been going on in these uh, since the last time we talked, so a lot to go over today. We'll start with, I mean, a monumental upset, catastrophic upset. Uh, gargantuan upset. <laughs> Evansville took down Kentucky, man. When I saw that, I didn't even believe it. Luckily, it's not, you know, in the NCAA tournament because I know a lot of people would have lost some money, but it's still in the regular season, so hopefully it doesn't hold them back too much. But man, Evansville, I didn't even know where the fuck that was. <laughs> I had to look it up. Evansville, for the people who don't know, is actually in Indiana. So yeah, that is in the middle of nowhere, and they took down the Kentucky Wildcats with all them freaking future NBA players, man. So shout out to them. And uh, just overall, man, it's been a really entertaining season thus far in the NBA. We're not even 15 games deep, but we've already seen a lot of instant classics. I'll talk about some of them throughout this episode, of course. But yeah, man, just a lot of entertaining basketball. Uh, Today, we are actually dropping on a Tuesday. I usually record and drop on Monday, but over the weekend, I have my anniversary. Yes, lover boy shit. (laughs) So I took took a day off and hopped back into it. Uh, but like I said, I'm, I'm glad that I dropped on a Tuesday because it was some things that happened over the weekend that I'll be able to include in this episode that I wouldn't have been uh, otherwise. Like, first and foremost, you know we're going to talk about Melo. You know that's something we're going to talk about. But today uh, they just announced that he'll be making his debut today. So we'll talk about that. And he's supposed to wear uh, number zero zero. So definitely got a chip on his shoulder coming into this season. But hope everybody had a safe and wonderful weekend. Hope people stayed out of trouble. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you're not already following your boy on Twitter and Instagram, please go ahead and get my followers up. It is at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. As soon as you click the follow button, you automatically become a member of the home team. I say it all the time. We don't do 10-day contracts. Everybody get a max deal. (laughs) Fair and equal opportunity for everybody that's tuning in, man. So we'll go ahead and start off with the birthday shout outs and then uh, we'll get into the content. Talk about some things that uh that took place over this past week, and we'll just keep the episode rolling. So I want to make some corrections to some of the birthday shoutouts from last week. So Davis Bertans uh, of the Washington Wizards, he actually turned 27. Last week I said he turned 28, and same for Trey Burke. He just turned 27, but I said he turned 28 last week. 
So the thing is, you can't rely on the internet. <laughs> you got you gotta you gotta rely on yourself, man. And it's my fault. But I looked it up, and I usually record like the day before. So technically, their birthdays hadn't happened yet. So I tried to you know be ahead of the curve. But I guess on the internet, they update players' birthdays a few days before their actual birthday. So it's weird, but these guys are actually 27 and not 28. And then for Russell Westbrook, he just turned 31 and not 32. So get them guys a, a, a year back on a, <laughs> in, in age because in basketball, a year means a lot. Ask Shabazz Muhammad. <laughs> so uh, moving over to uh, the, new, the new birthdays from this week, we'll start off with uh, Panda's friend. If you don't know who that is, it's also Metal World Peace. And if you don't know that, I'm talking about Ron Artest. So his birthday just took place over this past week on November 13th. He turned 40, man. Time is flying. And today is actually the 15-year uh, anniversary of the Malice at the Palace. <laughs> so that's when, uh, you know, they was running through the stands socking fans. You know what I mean? I, I specifically remember me and my brother when this shit had took place, uh, like I said, 15 years ago. This one VHS was popping. So... Me and my brother had ESPN on, and we recorded the shit on the VHS, and we was watching it over and over. I remember when Jermaine O'Neal slid across the, <laughs> the center court and cracked the fan in the face. So that shit will go down in history. I don't think we'll ever see anything that crazy. They was real brolic back then. I'm talking Ben Wallace, Steven Jackson, Ron Artest. Like, that's when, when <laughs> I think that was when the league got soft. After that, they was like, all right, we can't have this aggressive basketball because this shit is trickling over to the fans now and nobody's safe. <laughs> so Metal World Peace, shout out to him. He just turned 40. Uh, Shabazz Muhammad just turned 40 as well. <laughs> no, he just turned 27, allegedly. Um, and he's not even in the league right now. I think his, uh, I saw I made the joke, his age had a lot to do with him being out of the league. He was the top recruit coming out of high school, lottery pick two, and... His game just wasn't really fit for the modern NBA. I thought he would be better than he was, but he's already out of the league. So like to see Shabazz back because I still do think if it's any time he can find a role, it's today. It's like a stretch forward, but we'll see what happens. Uh, Greg Anthony, former NBA player and current, uh, I guess, what is he on? TNT or ESPN? Whatever one of them networks he's on. He's an analyst and NBA TV. That's what it is. And his son is Cole Anthony, the star point guard in North Carolina right now. So he just turned 52. Sendarius Thornwell turned 25. Carl Anthony Towns, man, he turned 24. And he's already multiple-time All-Star, arguably the best center in the league, best player on my fantasy team. <laughs> Carl Anthony Towns is the business. He just turned 24, so the Timberwolves got a lot of good years left in him. Denzel Valentine, small forward for the Chicago Bulls. It's been a bust up until this point. He just turned 26. Probably won't see him in the league too much longer either. His, his days are numbered. Amari Stoudemire just turned 37. JoJo White, former uh, NBA legend, just turned 71. Alvin Hayes, former NBA legend as well, turned 74. And I'm going to rip through the rest of these because I got basically some bums left. <laughs> Sorry for lack of better words. But we got a lot to get into, man. But I just want to give a shout-out to the people who are currently wearing jerseys or people who made an impact in the league. Dragon Bender turned 22. Zylon Cheatham, rookie for the New Orleans Pelicans, turned 24. Sam Cassell, NBA vet, NBA champion, he turned 50. Justin Anderson turned 26. Andre Ingram, he's not in the league right now, but he's the guy, if you're not familiar – 
every year towards like the last five games of the season, the Lakers sign him and he averages like 20 points down the stretch. <laughs> but I don't know why he's not in the league now. Some teams that can use a sharpshooter, he looks like he'll he looks like the guy you see at Y at the Y or like maybe 24 hour fitness or something that nobody picks up. And then he kind of sneaks onto somebody's team and you find out he's actually the best fucking player on the court. That's Andre Ingram. Look him up. He got gray hairs and all. <laughs> he just turned 34. Kenneth Fareed, the manimal, turned 30. And Zach Collins, uh, power forward for the Portland Trailblazers, is currently out right now with the injury. He just turned 22. So happy birthday to all of those gentlemen. Um, you know, that a, a lot of guys on this list are afterthoughts, but there's some guys on here, too, that mean a lot to the game of basketball. I mean, everybody matters, man. Come on, we're going to be inclusive. <laughs> so moving on to some of the basketball that took place uh, last night. The Milwaukee Bucks were able to get a win over the Chicago Bulls. I watched that game, man. Chicago needs a lot of help. Giannis was bullying the fuck out of them. I, it looked like he was playing against high school kids. He was pushing them out the way, dunking on people and shit, throwing people all on the floor. And I know he does that, but they look completely helpless. Like, it was nothing Laurie marking in, Zach Levine, Kobe White. Nobody was saved. <laughs> so 115 to 101, they went into Chicago and got the win. Portland Trailblazers continue to struggle. They got blown out by the Houston Rockets, 132-108. to 108. The Charlotte Hornets fell to the Toronto Raptors, 132-96. to 96. Indiana Pacers went on the road and got a win in Brooklyn, 115-86. to 86. The Cleveland Cavaliers just kicked the New York Knicks' ass a few weeks ago, but tables turned last night. They went into the Garden, and they lost to the Knicks, 123-105. to 105. Uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, led by Carl Anthony Towns without Andrew Wiggins, they went into Utah and handed them their first home loss of the season. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns went crazy down the stretch, and the Timberwolves won 112 to 102. Boston Celtics won on the road to beat the Phoenix Suns 99 to 85. The San Antonio Spurs fell to the Dallas Mavericks on the road 117 to 110. Mavericks are a scary home team, man. They crowd get up. It, it reminds me of when like Dirk was playing there when they get like real, real turned up, and the energy in that stadium is just rocking. I like seeing crowds like that. One of these days, I'm going to talk about some of the best crowds in uh, the NBA, but definitely an entertaining, entertaining building to watch basketball when the Dallas Mavericks are good. And then uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder, they suffered a heartbreaking loss to the Los Angeles Clippers to a score of 90-88 to 88 in the Staples Center. So that was a close one, but Paul George saved the day with the uh, go-ahead bucket late in the fourth quarter. So moving on to some of the ISO standouts from last night. Carl Anthony Towns, like I said, took over down the stretch. He had a career best uh, seven threes in that game. Had 29 points, 13 rebounds, and five assists. Russell Westbrook had a, another triple-double in the Rockets uniform. 28 points, 13 rebounds, and 10 assists. And then Luka. Luka mania. He went crazy. 42 points, 11 rebounds, and 12 assists. Became the second youngest player to record a 40-point triple-double since LeBron James. So he's serious, man. I don't, he's not even 21 yet, I don't think so. He got a lot of basketball left to be played, too, but he's definitely going to be one of the uh, the best players in the league, and if he's not already, to be honest. So let's look at the uh, games we got on the slate today. Not a lot of basketball. The Golden State Warriors will take on the Memphis Grizzlies uh, in Memphis. The Portland Trailblazers will be back in action. They travel to uh, New Orleans to take on the Pelicans. The Phoenix Suns will go on the road to face the Sacramento Kings. And the Oklahoma City Thunder will stay in Los Angeles to take on the Lakers tonight. So we'll see what happens in that matchup. Let's go ahead and move on to the NBA injury report. 
So Kawhi Leonard, he sat out last night's game against the Thunder with a left knee contusion. The Claw has missed the last three games in five of LA's first 14. His next chance to take the floor will be tomorrow when the Clippers battle the Celtics at home. Kawhi Leonard, man, he, him and his low management thing is pissing a lot of people off. And I remember in the beginning of the season, he said that that's something that wasn't going to be happening. Like, he, he said he was fully healthy, and I get it. They said this is kind of a new injury, but with Kawhi Leonard, it's always – I remember back in his days with the Spurs, they questioned if, like, he was really hurt. You know, Uncle Dennis got a lot to do with all this. <laughs> Uncle Dennis is always going to, you know, advise Kawhi to, to do his best for Kawhi, which is cool, but at the same time, like – the, the Clippers have lost a few of these games that they could have won, and I think a lot of it is due to Kawhi sitting out. So i like to see him back in action. I want to see him take the floor with Paul George. And speaking of Paul George, he made his Clipper debut last week after missing the first 11 games with the shoulder injury. He dropped 33 points in 24 minutes, and even though he went crazy, they still lost to the Pelicans 132-127, to 127. and the Pelicans haven't been that good. So that's, like I'm saying, one of those losses. And then uh, he followed that performance up with a, a big, big game, though. He dropped 37 points uh, in his Clippers home debut in only 20 minutes. <laughs> and they shit it. They crushed the Hawks, 150 to 101. So, uh, like I said, he, he's been balling. He hit the go-ahead three uh, last night against the Thunder, which was his former team. So I think they're going to be good. I just got to see them on the court at the same time so they can start getting some chemistry together. But it's still pretty early in the season, so we'll see what happens. Marcus Smart. For the uh, Boston Celtics, he sprained his right ankle last night in the fourth quarter of their win against the Suns. He limped off the court. Um, he didn't return, but after the game, he said he was cool. He said he could have returned if the game was close, but um, they're going to reevaluate him tomorrow to see like if, if he's actually fine. And then uh, the injuries continue to pile up for the Warriors, man. D'Angelo Russell, uh, since the last time we, we uh, were together, he sprained his right thumb, and this happened over the weekend in a loss to the Celtics. And now he is expected to be reevaluated next week. They ruled him out for two weeks. So hope, uh, hope for a speedy recovery for all those guys, especially D'Angelo Russell, because I got him on my fantasy team. And I am, I am dealing with a lot of injuries this week. So hopefully my guys can get back, get me back up to strength, and uh, hopefully keep racking up these wins. <laughs> Some NBA news. Uh, James Harden was named Western Conference Player of the Week. The Beard averaged nearly 45 fucking points. 44.8 points per game. 6.8 assists, and 5.8 rebounds. So basically 45, 7, and 6. And he led the Rockets to a 4-0 record. So I guess that makes sense. <laughs> and to be honest, he started off the season shooting so inefficient. And now he's kind of, uh, you know, fixed that. He's been shooting a little bit better um, in, these, in most recent games. Other than like the – it was one of the games over the weekend where I forgot who they played. I want to say it was, the, oh yeah, it was the Timberwolves. He shot 22 threes in one game. And the crazy part is I looked it up that night and the San Antonio Spurs as a team shot less threes than James Harden that night. So that kind of gives you an idea of the green light he has. I don't know if even Stephen Curry has a light this green. I've never seen a light this green. And playing under Dan Tony, anything's fucking possible offensively. So keep an eye on that because he might break a lot of records this year when it comes to scoring. Might not be all too efficient, even though, like I said, he's improving it. But still, at the end of the day, Whenever you get a chance to take that many shots, you're bound to score some points, especially if you're as good as him. And then on the Eastern Conference, uh, Nikola Vucevic at Orlando Magic, he uh, averaged 21.6 points, 14 rebounds, and 4 assists, and led the Magic to a perfect 3-0 record last week, and he was named Eastern Conference Player of the Week. So that's it for the NBA news. And for college, 
couple uh, couple top recruits made their decision on what college they'll be attending next year. Big man Isaiah Jackson committed to Kentucky over the weekend, even though they lost. <laughs> he, he don't care. And I, I mentioned this last episode that Kentucky is basically just like an internship program. So they can lose as many games as possible in the regular season. I remember they had that year when I think Nerlens Noel was there when they lost to like Robert Morris in the NIT. Like they've had years where they've been trash and it hasn't hurt their uh, recruiting because even still they're going to play against good enough competition to where NBA scouts can gauge how, how you know, talented they are. But at the same time, it's still going to, you're still going to go high in the draft. If Archie Goodwin could go in the first round, anything is possible. <laughs> and if you know who Archie Goodwin is, you know that he was very overrated, but he went to Kentucky, so he got a chance to play in the NBA. But uh, anyway, Isaiah Jackson committed to Kentucky, and according to ESPN, he is the fourth-ranked power forward in the class and the 22nd-ranked player overall. If you've seen uh, last year at Spire, he was a highlight machine, dunking on people, throwing shit off the backboard uh, with LaMelo Ball and Rocket Watts. So I know who he is. He... If you if you don't know who he is, if you looked at those Spire highlights when LaMelo was there, he's the guy with the dreads. So that'll kind of give you an idea of who Isaiah Jackson is. And then uh, LSU signed another five-star uh, five commit. And Cameron Thomas, he committed to LSU yesterday, and he is the fourth-ranked player at his position and the 18th-ranked player overall in the class of 2020. And he has a reputation as a big-time scorer. So LSU can definitely use that. Last big-time scoring guard I remember that guy was Antonio Blakeney, um, who spent some time with the Chicago Bulls, so good to see that. And um, they've been getting a lot of big recruits, like Ben Simmons was one. He kind of started it. Uh, I mean, well, Shaq is probably the first, but Ben Simmons uh, was another big recruit. They just had Trendon Waffer, who was a five-star recruit um, this past uh, freshman. Well, he's a freshman now, but this past high school class. They had Nas Reed last year. So they've been getting some guys down to LSU, and that's usually known as a football school, but good to see them continue to bring the talent in there for the basketball team. And then the final story of the day, um, LeBron James' son is going to be under the spotlight in his freshman season in high school. (laughs) So what I'm talking about is Sierra Canyon, and ESPN is scheduled to air 15 of their basketball games this season on like their, their family network. So ESPN, U. ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN3, etc. But that is that's crazy to me. Like I remember when the top recruits like Kyrie Irving, Tyreek Evans, um OJ Mayo, like when all these guys were like projected to be the next big thing since LeBron, they were only getting like maybe one or two televised games all year. Sierra Kane is getting 15. And for context, I'll give you an idea of how, how much that is. So right now in the NBA, that there is 19 teams in the NBA that don't even have 15 televised games this year. So out of the 30 teams, that's like a third of the – that's two-thirds of the league you won't see on TV more than you'll see a high school team. You'll see a high school team more than two-thirds of the league. So that's crazy to me. It, it didn't really make that much sense. But, I mean, LeBron James is – the biggest ticket in terms of ratings and his son is definitely going to attract people. And then Dwayne Wade's son plays for that team too. And they're actually pretty good. They got TCU commit, uh, Taron Frank. He's a big man. And then, uh, they got other top recruits in Zaire Williams, BJ Boston and Amari Bailey. So they got some talent down there. So it's just, it's crazy though, because I wonder how this is going to change high school basketball going forward because LeBron James kind of transcended, transcended high school basketball by himself. Like when he was coming up, 
everybody was saying he was going to be the best thing since Jordan. And he exceeded expectations, in my opinion. And then now his son is there, and his son looks like he's pretty good, too. So if he starts to get some play time and, you know, he, he keeps balling and his, his reputation keeps climbing and he's considered a top recruit, they're only going to show him on TV more. So we'll see how this changes basketball going forward because if, he if he's as a freshman on TV more than LaMelo Ball, who scored 92, you know, as a high school sophomore, that's just amazing to me. So we'll see what happens. But before we get into the episode, I'll give you a quick rundown of the topics to let you know what we're talking about today. So the first topic we're going to cover is uh, Carmelo Anthony and the Portland Trailblazers. So I previewed it, um, you know, pretty early in this episode. I talked about, you know, him joining the Portland Trailblazers. And what does that mean? You know, we'll, we'll get into that and decide if he'll be able to help them or not. And then in quarter two, we'll talk about the NBA Coaches Challenge. So this is something that I've been, you know, I've been watching the games and I really don't feel like a lot of people understand it. So I'm going to explain it and then I'll get into, you know, the implications of the coaches challenge and if it will have an effect on anything in the postseason, because that's really when, you know, the games matter the most. And then uh, we're on the halftime segment. We're going to do the free game segment again. So I'm going to pick a team and then uh, we'll find a way to make them better. And then at quarter number three, uh, we're going to talk about some breakout stars. So not the most improved player candidates. I'm not talking about most improved player. I'm just talking about guys that are really surprising and caught me off guard for sure. And some of them already knew, but there's a couple guys in there that I didn't expect, you know, to, to start the season off this hot. And then for quarter number four, we'll wrap it up talking about the MVP favors. So last week we talked about the power rankings, you know, the best teams. So right now we'll conclude the episode and talk about some of the best players who are leading, you know, some of those competitive teams and uh, we'll talk about, you know, who I think is playing the best right now and if I think it'll hold up for the whole season. So without further ado, man, let's go ahead and get it rolling. And we're going to kick off the first quarter. We're talking about Melo. Let's go. Now, if you've been under a rock for like the past few days and you haven't heard the big news, former 10-time All-Star Carmelo Anthony just signed a deal to play with the Portland Trail Blazers. And to be honest, man... I was excited. I know I talk a lot of shit on here about Carmelo Anthony, and it's all fun and jokes, but I'm not going to disrespect the legend. Like, I know how good Carmelo Anthony was. I just don't think he's that player anymore, and I think he needs to accept that. But, I mean, we'll see if he even needs to accept that because in his current role, they might actually want him to be the player that he thinks he still is. And we're going to get into it, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. So I'll start off with... I mean, just some big news. Damian Lillard is sitting out tonight. Now, it may not be his role going forward, talking about Carmelo as the go-to guy, but with C.J. McCollum in the lineup and, you know, a bunch of young guys without real established roles, I think that, you know, Carmelo Anthony might be in line to to score 20-plus points tonight. I know he's been in the gym, you know, since his departure with the Rockets, and I know he's going to have a huge chip on his shoulder. So, let me just start off because <laughs> um, th- this shit is really dramatic. And Carmelo Anthony posted on his, uh, I think it's his Instagram. It's just, I know he's been relishing the opportunity, but he's it- just being real dramatic. So he posted this and he said, this is the reason why he's wearing double zero. So that, that would be the number he's wearing on the Portland Trailblazers. He said, one should be concentrating on clues that the universe is dropping for them to take up a quick reaction. Divine power is seeking my undivided attention. 
I had to achieve the tranquility of spiritual maturity through the guidance of the universe. I will always be number seven. Hashtag 007. <laughs> so I, I guess he's at peace. And basically when reading that, that makes me think like, okay, maybe he's accepted, you know, that he's joining a team with two established stars. He's going to accept any role that's given to him. And ideally, you know, with him sitting out for so long and not being picked up by an NBA team, the, the logical thinking would be that in order for him to get that job, he had to make it clear to them that that's what he was going to do. But it's still Carmelo Anthony. So it's, it's cool to say that. Like he went on first take a few months ago and said that he, you know, he was willing to, to be the third option. But yet when he gets on the court and when he starts playing, his game says otherwise. So this was also some more stuff that he alluded to on that post. He said at double zero, a number greater than any assignable quantity for countable numbers and then he shows the symbol of the infinity so I guess he's wearing double zero to be the first player to wear infinity technically I don't know (laughs) he put without end process that never stops just like he never stops shooting (laughs) can never be given an exact value simplicity and balance the mysticism of our past and the possibility for an eternal future gives the infinity gives the infinity symbol a sense of awe and wonder infinite nature of God number seven We cannot stay away from God without him trying to bring us back to him. The chance to have a new and great beginning with the past left behind where it belongs. Beginning or end, Alpha and Omega. So he seems like he got a lot of time to get into his spiritual bag while he's been sitting out. And I know he's been practicing, so he might come in and surprise us, man. He's only 35 years old, and that's not exactly young in basketball, but... We've seen guys in today's NBA dominate without athleticism. Luka Doncic, who we just talked about, is one of those guys who is one of the best players in the league, but he's not doing it with, you know, superb athleticism. Uh, It's a couple other guys in the league that has carved out roles, you know, without being Russell Westbrook-like in terms of athletic ability. So it's definitely possible, but we'll go ahead and get into it and, um, you know, we'll just talk about what I think is going to happen, if I think it's going to pan out, or if I think it's a mistake for both parties. So first and foremost, I just think it seems like a panic move. But I mean, it's still early in the season. And most of the teams ranked above them are only within like a game of, a game or two above them. Like the Portland Trailblazers right now are five and nine, which is one of the worst records in the Western Conference. But we're only like 13 games in like the Minnesota Timberwolves are technically the A seed if the playoffs started today. They're only eight and six. The Phoenix Suns are seven and five. Shit, even the Clippers are nine and five. So it's not really that many games apart to where you you need to make something happen now. And if they needed a solution, they could have tuned into the free game segment <laughs> last week. I gave them two solutions that could have solved it. But they decided to go with Carmelo Anthony. And I know this is something that a lot of people love to see. So I just want him to win. But just talking about the team, like, Four of their nine losses have been by two possessions or less. So it's not like they're getting blown out. Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum are they're, the, they're probably the most dynamic backcourt in terms of putting the ball in the basket. Offensively, it's not too many backcourts that can score like them. Of course, a healthy Steph Curry and Clay, maybe John Wall and, um, and Bradley Bill. You know, it's a lot of different backcourts that can be effective. But this team was carried to the Western Conference Finals last year. So 
they're they know what it takes and maybe that's why they're panicking because they can look at their roster pretty early on and see that it's not as good as last year they made a lot of additions they got Kent Bazemore they signed Mario Hazonia got rid of uh, Seth Curry who I thought was a really good fit with them last year got rid of Evan Turner got rid of Mo Harkless and Alfred Camino, which was their defensive uh presence on the wings so they're they're a completely different club and they are still dealing with injuries too. Zach Collins is out. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic is out. So I, I just, I personally feel like this is a panic move that I didn't feel like needed to be done right now. But maybe they just felt like Carmelo was, you know, a diamond in the rough that they can plug in right now and get him rolling, get his confidence going, and have a a, a third scorer because that's that's really in the past what I feel like they've lacked. They've had third scores, but they never knew who that third score was going to be. One game, it can be uh, Seth Curry. The next game, it can be Rodney Hood, who played pretty well in the playoffs and has been playing decent to start the season. But they just they never really had a consistent third option. So I think that's a reason why they may be turning to Carmelo because now even their first two options, uh, Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, has kind of been off and on. Damian is still scoring a lot of points, but he's been pretty inefficient. Like he had a 60-point night, but I think last night he had like 12 points or something. So – just inconsistent, trying to do too much. And I think that it's just trying to get the flow with new teammates. I don't necessarily think that it's not going to work. But prior to last night's loss to the Rockets, um, they had yet to lose a game by double digits. So eight of their nine losses were by nine points or less. Like I'm saying, it's, it's just panic mode. Like, they're, they're not a bad team. I don't, I don't think they're a terrible team. I just think they're getting off to a slow start. And that's what happens usually when you have a lot of new faces in the locker room. So He's joining, Carmelo Anthony is joining the team on a six-game road trip. If you look at the end of this road trip, right now, by the end of that road trip, they would have played 18 games, and five of them are home games. So they played 13, they would have played 13 away games by the time this road trip is over. So really, they haven't even, you know, been at home. So with a lot of losses, it's not too bad because you're playing with a new team, you're losing close games on the road. It happens. You know what I mean? Just stick it out. And I know the Western Conference race gets tight, so you got to kind of find options. But you don't have to find options so quick. Maybe 20, 30 games. You know, give it some time. So I do think Carmelo Anthony is going to help bring a scoring punch to this team. But these are my areas of concern. So the Blazers right now are dead last in assists per game. They average uh, 18.6 assists per game. And right now that is, like I said, last in the association. So Carmelo Anthony isn't going to help that because that's not what he does. He's not somebody that's going to, you know, find guys. He's not somebody that has shown the ability to or shown the willingness to make the extra pass. But like I said, he made that post. He's in, in tune with the spiritual side. I got to respect that. And, you know, maybe it's, it's causing him to see the bigger picture. And I imagine with Neil O'Shea in the rest of the front office in uh, Portland, if they sign him, like I said, I think they had to go over this stuff with him. Um, but back to Portland, they're, they're tied for 25th in the league in field goal percentage. Another thing recently that Carmelo Anthony hasn't been the best at. Not really, he doesn't really take high percentage shots, let alone the shots that he's shooting that aren't high percentage shots aren't even going in. In the past, that's where he, get, he made his money, you know, in the mid-range and the post. But he hasn't really been able to get the lift that he used to, hasn't really been able to take advantage of mismatches in a way that, you know, we grew accustomed to seeing in Denver. Um, and then, again, the Portland Trailblazers are struggling on defense. They're 28th in the league in steals per game. Uh, they're 8th in the NBA in points allowed. They're giving up 115 points per game. So the defense is porous. And, again, Carmelo Anthony is not really, at this stage of his career, a strong defender. So I'm just trying to see where he fits in because 
all of the things that they're struggling at are things that he also struggles at. So I don't know how he's going to come in and make this better. Um, they're not an old team, but they're not young either. They, the average age of the Blazers is 26 years old. They, and that's what uh, Pal Gasol, who's 39, he has yet to play this year because he's out with the injury. Carmelo Anthony is 35. Anthony Tolliver is 34. So they got some old heads in the locker room with you. With the team that went to the Western Conference Finals last year, and then you, you know, bring some veterans in, it can only help you even if they're not playing because they can help young guys like, you know, Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., uh, Nazir Little, who just made a few starts, um, rookie out of North Carolina. So you want to have those, that veteran presence, but you also want them to not be liabilities to where they can't play because they're always hurt or when they're on the floor, they can't guard. And then, like I said, I just don't think Melo plays a modern game. He wants to get his shots off the dribble. He wants to get them in the mid-range. And right now, one of the things I think they're struggling is moving the ball. So if they're not moving the ball and you add Carmelo Anthony, who's not going to move it either, I don't know how adding a ball stopper solves that issue. And then he's not the best standstill perimeter shooter. Like when he was on OKC with Russell Westbrook and Paul George, that was one of the reasons why it didn't fit because they kind of put him at that stretch four role and expected him to kind of sit in the corner or, you know, just sit anywhere and catch and shoot. And that's not where he's comfortable. He's not going to be able to shoot it at a high clip. He didn't even shoot it at a high clip in Houston. You know what I mean? And they kind of allow you to take bad shots. So I think playing with two ball dominant guards is definitely going to be an adjustment period. But I do think with Damian Lillard sitting out tonight, maybe he can gather some confidence because he'll be able to get a, a decent amount of looks up. I don't know if he'll start. I would love to see him start. But I think um, if it was me personally, I would start him just because, like, what do you really have to lose? Like, they're, they're playing against uh, – who are they playing against? The Pelicans, who is not a strong team. And then Zach Collins is out. The uh, – what's his name? Damian Lillard is out. So you can start C.J. McCollum, uh, Simons, Rodney Hood. You can go Carmelo at the four, and you could put uh, Hassan Whiteside at the five. That's probably what I would come out with because Nazir Little, he, he's still learning. But at the same time, I think he's been starting because they haven't had anybody else they can put there. Because I know he's a young guy that they probably wouldn't want to be playing big minutes for them at this time. But he's real aggressive. He brings a lot of energy. He's real athletic. So I think he's somebody that they can bring off the bench in spurts. Now, I talked about the things I'm concerned about, but let's talk about how Melo can help. So, one, he's played in over 70 playoff games in his entire career, which is 21 more playoff games than Damian Lillard, who is known for, you know, being a big-time player when the games matter the most. Um, he's a microwave scorer. He can put points up in a hurry. Even last year, you might not have meshed well with Chris Paul and James Harden, but that's because they dominate the ball, too. I do think uh, C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard are a little better than that duo, you know, in terms of, like, letting the ball go. Because them, them dudes, <laughs> James Harden and Chris Paul, they used to get into it with each other. So I don't know how Chris Paul was going. I mean, Carmelo was going to fit into that scenario. We just all thought that, hey, they, D'Antoni allows these guys to shoot a billion shots, so Carmelo will find his way. But even still, last year he averaged 13-5 and five with them. He was playing nearly 30 minutes per game, so it's not like you know, his body isn't able to kind of hold up a uh, you know, decent amount of minutes. And then right now, Portland has one of the worst power forward rotations in the league. I talked about Collins being out. Um, like I said, Nurkic is out. Uh, Tolliver is getting minutes, and I don't think he should be a part of any rotation for a, a contending team. But right now, they don't really have anybody. They're real thin at that position. And 
the stretch four right now is a position to where it's not a lot of guys who it's not a lot of guys who can defend. So if you put Carmelo there, like let's think of even the Pelicans who they play tonight, they've been kind of playing uh, Brandon Ingram at that stretch four. I think uh, even if he comes back tonight, because I know he's been out with injuries as well. If he comes back tonight, I think Carmelo Anthony could kind of give it to him because he's frail. He's thin, you know, and defense isn't where he really wants to play anyway. Uh, Brandon Ingram is interested in scoring with the Pelicans. So I think definitely the, the, the stage is set for Carmelo to have a big return. Um, and then, like I said, the stretch four fit is perfect for the Portland Trailblazers. Like, you can plug Carmelo Anthony in right now, and he's going to be able to, if he can, you know, knock down perimeter shots efficiently, he'll be able to get his share of looks. He can probably sit out there and shoot about five to six a game. I think Carmelo is good for maybe two. At least he better be if he wants to keep the job. And then um, last thing I'll say is C.J. McCollum, he, he's been working out with Carmelo all summer. So it's not like they're, they're not going to know how to play together. Like they, I've been watching the Chris Brickley workouts with Hoodie Mello, you know what I mean, and C.J. McCollum and Cole Anthony, all those guys going at it, even J. Cole. And it looks like Carmelo Anthony can still, you know, heat up. And, of course, that's not real NBA action, but at the same time you're still playing with NBA players and you kind of know how C.J. McCollum likes to get his shots, especially playing with him, uh, you know, in a pickup setting. And then Damian Lillard has been lobbying to try and get Carmelo Anthony to the Blazers for like a few years now. I remember when, um, I think this is when Carmelo Anthony was a free agent. I think this was after OKC. It might have been before OKC, but I remember it was a tweet and Damian Lillard was trying to tell Carmelo, like, come to Portland. But nobody didn't think that was going to take place because nobody saw Carmelo Anthony going to such a small market. But now it's like, well, shit, he don't really have any options uh, the Blazers are struggling. So it's kind of like a, a perfect scenario now. And you got Aminu out, you got Harkless out, and you don't really have anybody you can put at that power forward slash small forward spot that's really going to lock up that is more valuable than a Carmelo. So why not take a chance on him? So I get it. Um, my verdict on it, I, do I think it's going to work? It kind of depends on what you see as working. I guess it will have to be contingent upon if they start to win games. I do think Portland, for everything I said, is just getting off to a slow start, and I think they're a better team than what they're showing. So I do think they're going to win more games. And if he's playing well, he's going to get the credit for it because it's starting to happen once he joined the team. So get that win streak started with the win over the Pelicans, and you know maybe he scores 20-plus points tonight. I would love to see him start. I don't think he will. I think he'll probably play maybe 15, 20 minutes tonight. I see Carmelo Anthony maybe putting up 12 points at most, but – Man, am I hoping that he goes in there and scores 25 and we get to see Vintage Mellow cooking? I love it because <laughs> I, know, I know the crowd, regardless, you know what I mean, of, of where they're playing at, will love to see it. So it's just like whenever an NBA legend is, is been treated the way he has and been blackballed out of the NBA, you want to see him come back and, and go out gracefully. So hopefully he can do that. My, my final verdict is I, I think it will work because – I know a lot of people doubted Dwight Howard when he went on the Lakers. And I was one of the people, I said it on this podcast, that I thought that was going to work. It made perfect sense. Dwight Howard, if he just accepts the role as being a finisher and a defensive presence, it's no reason why I couldn't because he still has the body and the athleticism to, to you know, protect the paint. And the same thing with Carmelo. Like, I still think he's in good enough shape to get shots up, at least enough shots that he's going to get within that offense. And he's going to be able to mentor younger guys like Anthony Simons, 
if anything, his veteran leadership is going to be more appreciated in Portland than it was in Houston. So I, I want to see him win. I think for the year he'll start to carve out, you know, an even better role. Maybe um, by the time Zach Collins comes, I think he can carve out a role as maybe the small forward, maybe put Collins at the four, and maybe he'll finish games at the four while maybe Rodney Hood is at the three. But they got a lot of talent on that team. They just got to figure out how to play together. And it's still early in the season where you can integrate a Carmelo Anthony and he can figure out what this team and they can grow together. And by the time playoffs is coming, maybe he'll have, you know, a starting spot on this team. But I think by the end of the year, I can see um, him averaging double digits with this squad. I say if he sticks around because he, he has to stick around until um, I want to say is January and then his contract becomes guaranteed because right now it's non-guaranteed. But if, you know, he shows enough, here it is right here. His contract becomes fully guaranteed if he's not waived by January 7th. So he just got to make it to January. That's like a month. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they're struggling. So if they win a couple games, like I said, he's going to get the praise for it. And I think uh, we're going to see Melo bounce back in. My prediction is he'll average maybe 13 to 16 this year. So let's go ahead and move on to quarter number two. And we're about to talk about the NBA Coaches Challenge, y'all. For all my football fans out there, I know you are familiar with the Coaches Challenge, and it has finally made its way over to the association. So we're seeing it in basketball now, and it's it's still, <laughs> they're, they're figuring it out. I'll say that. And fans are figuring it out, too. I don't think um, we've seen it have major implications on, like, maybe ESPN or NBA TV game to where, like, they're talking about it on, you know, first take or, or Skip and Shannon the next day. So I want to talk about it because I know eventually the time will come and I want us to understand it when it happens. So we're not like, you know, the casual fan that don't know what's going on is just talking based off what, you know, the media is feeding us. So I'm going to go ahead and break down the NBA Coaches Challenge and how it works. And then I'm going to say, you know, if I think it's here to stay or not, because right now they're just doing it for one season. It's like a trial pretty much. And they've, they've been entertaining a lot of things that they want to implement as trials. Like, I talked about it on a previous episode with the, uh, the free throw rule, talking about, you know, cutting the two free throws to just one and making it count for two, which I'm not a fan of. But the, the NBA is just trying to make things more friendly for the fan. And they don't, want it, they don't want to have a league to where games are decided from the referees. They want the players to be able to have the ultimate say of who's the better team, and they just want to make it as fair as possible. So that's fine if the, you know, because the intentions are there. But at the end of the day, the execution still has to be done. So I'm going to go ahead and um, read out the rule and just kind of give a brief rundown on it. And then we'll go over the stats because so far in some of the games I've watched, I don't even think the NBA teams fully understand it. Like I was watching a fourth quarter game where the Charlotte Hornets were winning and they just threw it out. They threw a challenge, the coach threw a challenge flag out just to see, you know, if he would win it or not. The game was already decided, but he just wanted to see what would happen just to kind of understand it better. And I think that's a really smart tactic if you're a coach in the NBA, because if you don't fully comprehend it, but it's a rule that might be able to give you a competitive advantage if you understand it better than the opposing team, that's what coaching is. Coaching is, you know, understanding the game and putting your team in the best position to win, you know, with the tools that's given to you. So, I think with, uh, with this rule, it can definitely be something that is going to have major implications in the playoffs because right now 
right now we we've seen so many games in the past be decided by a call that everyone disagreed with. So this is making it in an effort to where we won't see that too much more, hopefully. Now, I want to shout out sportingnews.com and nba.com for the stats that I'm about to go over and for the definition, but I read those extensively and, you know, came up with a few few tips that I wanted to go over. So Basically, the rule is each team has one challenge per game. The NBA doesn't reward coaches for successful challenges. So it's one and done regardless of the result. Even if you win the challenge, you don't get another one. Um, In order to initiate a challenge, the coach must call a timeout and then ask for a replay review prior to the start of a free throw attempt, change of possession, or jump ball. During games, you may see the standard spinning motion with an index finger used as a signal from coaches to trigger review as well as flashing lights at the scores table. If a challenge is successful, the team keeps its timeout. If the call on the floor stands, that timeout is gone. So you lose the timeout and the challenge, which is, I mean, obviously that, that makes sense. And then for the coach's challenge, um, the, it's only a certain, certain amount of plays that you actually can contest. So personal fouls made against the team at any time, you can challenge that. Out-of-bounds calls during the first 46 minutes of regula- regulation. So that's key. It's the first 46 minutes of regulation and the first three minutes of overtime. So basically within the last two minutes, the referees still kind of decided because game is 48 minutes long. So if I can't challenge in the last two minutes, it, those are really when the plays are kind of tick and tack, you know. So now you'll see coaches, you know, paying a little bit more close attention than the final five minutes of the game as opposed to the final two because now, you know, you, you can't challenge it. And that's usually when – a lot of people think games are decided by, like, the last play, but it's the plays leading up into that. So, you know, if you can get a call that's overturned to kind of stop the momentum of a team, it can be a lot more valuable than it may seem, you know, just off the rule alone. And then uh, the third one you could challenge is goaltending or basket interference calls, and it's the same thing during the first 46 minutes of regulation and the first three minutes of overtime. So during the last two minutes of the fourth quarter and the last two minutes of overtime, Reviews of out of bounds and goaltending calls can be challenged, can't be challenged by the coaches. So, reviews can only be triggered by the referees. So the referee can still, you know, if they feel like they made a mistake, they can go back and change it, which is cool too. But at the same time, if the coach can't challenge it, and the referee is uh, Donahue, <laughs> the guy that was, you know, rigging games, then it's still in the coaches. I mean, it's still in the referee's hands, which is the thing they're trying to prevent. But I mean, to each his own. It's, it can't be completely you know, perfect. And that's why it's a trial period. So if it's something that's going to work, they can just adjust it. And then if it's not, they can just scrap it all together. So um, one of the things is a coach can't challenge non-calls. So that was something that kind of stood out to me. That means it says that means a coach is only able to force a review of a foul called on the floor that he believes is not a foul. So if they call it and you don't think it like, say, if a player is going to the rack and Somebody takes a charge, but he's moving, but they call it a charge. You can contest that it was blocking. But yet, if somebody gets ran over and there's a no call, you can't challenge that it was a foul. So that's something that is kind of – I get it because you're not – you can't challenge the call because it was no call made. But at the same time, it's still like, well, if y'all miss one, there's no way to kind of correct that action too. So it's still kind of counterproductive in my opinion. But like I said, it's, it's still a work in progress. And then – um. The word that that matters most is clear and conclusive evidence. So in order to overturn a call, it has to be clear and conclusive. It has to be, you know, by the rule, what a blocking foul, what a charging foul is. 
it has to fit that to a T. It can't be any wiggle room in between it. And that's kind of like the NFL, too. It has to be clear and conclusive evidence. So as far as the stats for these, uh, for these calls so far in the NBA season, like I said, a lot of people don't understand it. <laughs> so, so far, we've only seen 13, 12 NBA games. There have been 119 challenges already. And 100 of them are from fouls. So really, that's the ones that you see people challenging the most, whether someone was a foul call or not. And so far, that has a 33% overturn rate. So 33 people have been successful, 67 people have not. So you can see the coaches, that, that's, that's usually the things they disagree with most. And it makes sense because a foul is, a foul can be, a foul, a foul can appear different from the angle that you're at. So I can understand that. And then out-of-bounds calls has been 13 challenges and six goaltending-slash-basket interference calls, three successful um, goaltending and three unsuccessful goaltending. So you got it's been 50-50 with that so far, and that's a little better. Like I like that because I've seen a lot of games late to where, um, you know, maybe the ref might have called a goaltending, but maybe the ball actually didn't hit the backboard first. So that's good that, you know, you give them that leeway to kind of correct that action. But overall... For coaches, it's only a 37% overturn rate so far of the 119 um, uh, challenges that's been thrown. And the most ones, I mean, that you think would happen or the, the quarter that you think you see it the most is the fourth. And it is. It's true. So far, of the 119 um, challenges that's been thrown, 60 of them have taken place in the fourth quarter. So that that's half of the calls taking place in the fourth quarter. And like I said... Most people like to think that that's when games are decided in the fourth quarter. But, I mean, if you look at the plays leading up to it, you've seen teams like the Warriors go on runs in the third quarter in the past where they put teams away. So, you know, having the ability to maybe stop a run in the third quarter is, is something that I think teams need to take more of a closer look at. But right now, with, the, with it being new and still something they're adjusting to, you're obviously going to see it most in the fourth quarter because that's when, you know, emotions are high that's when the game is close, and that's when people are going to be like, no, <laughs> that was a foul, um, you know, going our way. I need to challenge that. And I think with these teams right now, I think we'll start to see maybe after All-Star break, that percentage will go up a little bit better. And I'll touch back on this to kind of, like, update the stats because right now with people not understanding it, I imagine the percentage will be lower. Now, the funny thing that I noticed on here is that the success rate for challenges are a lot higher in the first and second quarter than they are in the third and fourth. And that just kind of goes to show that temperament has a lot to do with unsuccessful challenges. So, you know, I alluded to it, emotions are high. So towards the end of the game, you know, it's close and you want every call to go your way. You're, you're throwing that challenge flag in the fourth quarter, but yet you probably need to be looking in the first or second quarter because that's when your mind is most clear. And that's what the stats show. Like so far, um, there has been a 57% overturn rate in the first quarters for challenges and a 50% overturn rate in the second quarter. But in the third quarter, that number drops to 37%. And then in the fourth quarter, fourth quarter that number drops to 30%. So I think that uh, <laughs> that's definitely a glaring statistic because it, it just gets worse and worse as it gets later in the game. And that's because it may not be as conclusive, but... At the same time, the game is on the line, so people are going to throw that challenge flag out regardless. So pretty much I think that um, with this, I think it helps the game. I don't think it, it hurts it 
because if it's only in the referee's hands to where they can't be checked, like we've seen it in the past, especially in the playoffs where the NBA puts out the, um, the final two-minute report. And everybody watching the game, from the people in the arena to the people at home, can see that, all right, that call should have went a different way, but it didn't. And that cost that team the game, or a lot of people think that cost the team the game. But why even put the two-minute report out if there's nothing that could be done about it? It's kind of just like shitting on the team that took the loss. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, you was right. We fucked that one up. But you still lost. So it's kind of dumb. But with these stats being available to the public, I do like it because it kind of gives it kind of gives me an idea of, okay, what if I'm watching my team and I see my team throw a challenge, what is more likely to be overturned and what's not? Overall, 37% is the overturn rate for successful uh, challenges. But 62% of the overturn rate, it's a, it's a 62% um, positivity for the overturn rate for out-of-bounds calls. So if you see your team playing somebody and, you know, they're challenging an out-of-bounds call, you can be a little excited because most of the stats show that it's probably going to go in your favor. It's over 50%. Goaltending is 50%. However, if it's a foul call, you might want to, bite your nails because <laughs> it might not go your way foul calls is actually what what brings the percentage down it's only 33 percent so late in the games if you see uh your team calling the challenge it's probably not going to be good because they're probably not thinking about it they're probably just listening to the player like you're starting to see it now like when a guy does something and he doesn't agree with the call they encourage their coach to throw the flag but they don't really understand it yet and neither does the coach so it's kind of like, well, should I listen to the players? Should I be the one and you know what I mean? Should I, should I wait? Because we all know how valuable timeouts time are later in the game, and you can't afford to lose them because, you know, emotions were high and you felt like, you know, we, that should have been our possession, even though you know, you know, you might have fouled that guy or you didn't. So I think this is going to be something that is going to stay, quite honestly. I don't think it's going to leave because we've seen so many things in the NBA – change and stick around to where we just adjust to it now I didn't think I would ever see a day where advertisements would be on jerseys just like uh what do you call it uh just like overseas teams but that stand I don't think that's going anywhere uh we've seen the the shot clock that just changed um for like when the, the possessions reset that went up so it's it's a lot of things that we're seeing change in the league, and it's just it happens over time. The game has to evolve, and I don't think this one is one that affects the game. I think this one helps the game, but it just has to be done correctly, and I think it just has to be perfected. So this year will be the trial period. I think in the playoffs we'll see a lot of times where this may actually hinder the game. You know, we'll see times where, like, you know, maybe that that challenge call was something that should have been overturned, but it wasn't. And then maybe they'll kind of tweak it a little bit to where, you know, the games will be decided by the players and not the referees. So it should be interesting to see. I'm excited, man. Whenever whenever it's something that I think improves the game, I get excited. But like I said, that, that shit that they suggested with the free throws and, you know, a team, <laughs> a, a team shooting one free throw and getting two points for it, I don't like that at all. And I hope that doesn't – I hope it, it fails in the G League because that's when they try a lot of shit out. The G League is like the uh, – the test, the crash test dummies <laughs> that they run it through to see, you know, if, if it's going to stick in the NBA. And I think this one actually started out in the G League, too, and I think it has some success, which is why it's in the NBA now. So let's go ahead and transition to the free game segment. Oh, no. 
Before we get into the free game segment, I got to play the sound of the week. So this one is from um, the game last night with Luka Doncic. Like I said, he dropped 42 points, uh, had a triple-double, and he hit a big shot down the stretch that pretty much put the game to rest. So sound of the week is from that game, and um, I hope you guys enjoy it. And right after that, we'll go ahead and um, we'll, we'll dive right into the free game segment, and uh, we'll see what team that I chose, and we'll see what I think is going to make them competitive for the rest of the season. So let's go. Makes it a two-point game. Oh, here's your mismatch right here. Now it's Luca. Deep three over four. Luca Magic. I got game and I'm giving it out for free. Man, I hope you guys are ready for another edition of the free game segment. I did my homework with this one. I've been having a tough time, man, because one of the things, if you guys aren't familiar with, is when a free agent joins a new team, they can't be traded until December 15th. So a lot of teams that are struggling, they can't make moves because a lot of the players that maybe they might have just signed that they can move or ship off because things aren't working, they can't get rid of them until December 15th. So they kind of got to hold on to them. And a lot of free agents joined different teams this year. 40% of the league was free agents last year. So the league is completely different, but it's a lot of pieces that can't be moved because of that. So I've been, uh, I've been doing my best to try and find some scenarios that will work. And um, the team I chose to took, take a look at today is the uh, San Antonio Spurs. So Greg Popovich always finds a way to, to make the Spurs competitive. They're always in the playoffs, but yet every year they're doubted. And this year, I think this might be the first year where everybody is doubting them and it might actually be warranted. I don't, I don't think they're a playoff team right now. They have the third worst record in the Western Conference right now at five and nine. So they're, they're definitely struggling. Um, you know, they look like they've taken a very, very big step backwards. So I'm here to, to kind of save the day and play the role of GM and see how we can get the uh, San Antonio Spurs back to prominence. So first and foremost, if you're not already following me on Instagram and Twitter, please go ahead and do so at HoopFacts, H-O-O-P, underscore, underscore, F-A-C-T-S. Again, that's H-O-O-P, underscore, underscore, F-A-C-T-S. And if you haven't already visited the HoopFacts website, tell a friend, tell all, tell everyone www.hoopfacts.com. From there, you'll be able to find all the latest basketball news. Some of the stuff we talk about on this podcast, but there I just kind of put up one of the things with my website that I like to do. I don't like to talk about stuff that I'm not a fan of. So um, if it's, you know, negative things on players, like I'll joke on here and talk about Deion Waiters eating edibles all day, but I won't put that on a website because that wasn't, you know, one of his better days. And I don't think he wants to log on to ESPN and see his front page for something like that, <laughs> see himself on the front page for something like that. So I like to keep it, you know, transactions. I'll put an uh, injury report on there from time to time. And, uh, of course, just some interesting stories to, to, to keep you guys entertained. But at the same time, man, my website is, is, is dope. And if you haven't already got a chance to go check it out, please go ahead and do so. So back to the San Antonio Spurs. Before we fix them up, I want to talk about their weaknesses. So one of the things that I've noticed in watching them this season is that they lack a true floor general. So they need another coach on the floor. 
The days of Tony Parker running the show and Ginobili coming off the bench and kind of maintaining the tempo is over. They have a young, young, young backcourt now. They have, um, what's his name, uh, DeJounte Murray running the point. Not not necessarily a, a rookie or anything, but still young and finding, figuring out his way as a full-time point guard. And then you got Derek White coming off the bench, who's also another young guy. So they, they, they got a bunch of cats in there that are that are running the show, but they don't necessarily have a lot of experience in that role. So I think uh, that's something that they can improve on. And you see it a lot with uh, late game scenarios. The, the sound of the week that you just heard with Luka Doncic hitting that step back, that was against the Spurs. And I've seen them have leads that kind of slip late in games. I watched the game uh, a few days ago where they played at home against the Portland Trailblazers and they lost but it's because they had the lead and they let it slip away. They don't know how to – they don't have a true floor general to kind of, you know, slow it down, get good looks, and, you know, hold on to the lead and finish out a game. So that's a big weakness for them. I think another weakness that they have is um, they, they're not good at shooting a three ball. And usually that's something in the past that, you know, they've been really good at. So lack of perimeter shooting is definitely holding them back. They're last in the league in attempts per game. They only shoot 25 per game. Like I said, the other night, James Harden shot more threes than them by himself. <laughs> so they, they don't shoot a lot, and they're not super efficient. They shoot basically 35% as a team, which isn't horrible, but you would like to see that percentage be a little higher considering how little they shoot. And a big part of that is, I mean, their point guard, DeJounte Murray, is not the best three-point shooter. Derek White can kind of get hot at times, but that isn't really, you know, his go-to shot. So they, they definitely are struggling in that area. And then I think they lack a true presence in the middle. So they're not a bad rebounding team. I think they're top five, but they're a gang rebounding team. They have six guys that average five or more rebounds. So anytime Trey, Trey Lyles is your leading rebounder, he averages 7.4. I think that's an issue. <laughs> he was on my team, the Denver Nuggets. And not that he's a bad player or anything, but by no means should he be the leading rebounder on your team, especially considering they have an all-star big man in LaMarcus Aldridge. So I think they got a lot of a lot of weaknesses, a lot of things that could be fixed up. So I'm gonna go ahead and you know solve that issue for them today. If you if you got <laughs> who is their GM? RC Buford, I think it is. If you got his number, please give him a call. Tell him to tune into the ISO podcast this week. I might be able to save his job. <laughs> so this time uh I chose the Oklahoma City Thunder to do a trade with. Now Oklahoma City is a team in rebuild mode. But they still have some veterans that are kind of still can be really big contributors for like a team that's trying to win now. And San Antonio is always in win, win now mode. I don't know if they'll ever accept a rebuild unless they're kind of just like pushed into it kind of how they are right now. So this one is kind of uh, this trade puts them back in a in a competitive position. But this also kind of, um, you know, helps OKC out in terms of unloading some big contracts because they're trying to rebuild. So. Right now, uh, if we look at San Antonio's lineup, they got DeJounte Murray, they got DeMar DeRozan, they got Brim Forbes, LaMarcus Aldridge, Trey Lyles. We're going to change that all up, and we're going to make them way tougher now. So with San Antonio, we'll be shipping off to Oklahoma City. We'll be sending Jakob Pertl, big man that they acquired from the Toronto Raptors. Inside presence, shot blocker, hasn't really set the world on fire since getting drafted in the top 10 out of Utah. But yet, he, he's a big man. He's a body, and he's seven feet. Marco Bellinelli, older, but sharpshooter nonetheless, could always come in and, you know, light it up at any given time. Patty Mills, very good floor general, uh, veteran, coming to the game, can make big shots, not afraid of the moment. 
has had a lot of success in San Antonio. Yes, we're getting... We, <laughs> I know you keep hearing the names. I'm not done. It's a lot. Lonnie Walker IV, um, uh, two-guard out of Miami, can play some point. Super-duper athletic. He can light it up in a hurry. He showed how much of a how much he's improved in the summer league. He hasn't really carved out a role in San Antonio. I thought he would so far this season, but he is a really, really, really talented player that I'm sure a lot of people know, even though he hasn't been on the court too much. And then the last player that will be trading out of San Antonio to Oklahoma City will be DeMar DeRozan. So yes, I understand he is probably their best player right now, but he doesn't really, he doesn't really help them in this instance, and I'll tell you why. LaMarcus Aldridge is a big man, one of the better power forwards in the league. I think Greg Popovich likes having a presence down low or a scoring big man. I think that's his preference. He would prefer to have a scoring big man as opposed to a scoring guard. And this guard in particular is somebody who operates in the mid-range area, which is the same area where LaMarcus Aldridge likes to operate. I think there's no coincidence that playing alongside DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge just kind of tailed off, even though he's not necessarily... It's, it's not like LaMarcus Aldridge is washed. He can still play, but I just think his game is impacted by DeMar DeRozan and where he likes to get his shots. It, it kind of conflicts. So now you have them kind of operating in the same area. DeMar DeRozan isn't the best three-point shooter. Neither of them really wants to shoot threes, LaMarcus Aldridge or DeMar DeRozan. So you get DeMar out, kind of clear up that paint, and you make it easier for LaMarcus to get the shots that he wants, and then now you get better floor spacing. And then you can kind of sure up that three-point shooting because DeMar DeRozan is one of the worst three-point shooting stars in the league. So you get him out of there, and that's probably a large reason why they are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league because he's leading the show, and they don't really have a lot of shooters around them. So what are we getting back from Oklahoma City if we're getting rid of all of that? We are getting back some players that puts us in win-now mode. So, of course, we're unloading all those players, so we have to be acquiring somebody that has a really big contract. We are getting Steven Adams. So one of the weaknesses that I talked about is the uh, true presence in the middle. Like I said, San Antonio is a gang rebounding team. But if you get somebody in the middle that can kind of hold down the paint, protect the rim, and still, you know, rebound the ball at an effective rate, that will make them immensely tougher. And now he's seven feet. He can immediately step in, be the rim protector that they need him to be. He's not a scorer. He's going to get out of LaMarcus Aldridge's way. He's going to do the dirty work, and he's going to do it really well. I think Steven Adams would be a great addition to this team, but not only are we getting Steven Adams, we are getting Chris Paul. So CP3. I don't think that Chris Paul is an elite point guard anymore, but I think he is above starter level. I think he's right in between starter level and all-star because right now he's still averaging like 16 points, and he's still guiding Oklahoma City to some tough wins even though that team probably shouldn't be competitive right now. Um, I think with Chris Paul running the show, you now have that true floor general that you didn't have. He still plays defense, which is something that the Spurs, you know, relish in a guard. You get the perimeter shooter now because the floor is spaced out. You get LaMarcus Aldridge in the mid-range. Chris Paul can shoot the mid-range shot, but he also can shoot the three pretty effectively. And then now you can move somebody like um, DeJounte Murray to the two to where he can play defense and slash. So I think this makes them, you know, way, way better. So let's look at our lineup now for San Antonio. We got Chris Paul at the one. We got DeJounte Murray at the two. We got Rudy Gay at the three, where his natural position is. LaMarcus Aldridge can go back to the four instead of playing the five to where he doesn't have to guard the opposing five anymore. And then you have Steven Adams down low. That's a tough lineup. 
that's a playoff lineup at the very least. And then you put Greg Popovich in that mix as the coach. That's dangerous, in my opinion. And Chris Paul has killed the Spurs in, in recent years. So I know Greg Popovich will love to have him as a weapon. He doesn't mind having older players. And Chris Paul is proven that, you know, he could he could lead the show and be at very least a, a guy who can carry a team to the playoffs. And then now let's look at the bench. We got rid of all those guys, but yet we were still able to keep some of our young talent. So Derek White will be the first guard off the bench. A really good defender. He can get hot. He can also run the show at, in, in moments, you know, because Chris Paul has shown the ability to get hurt in the past. So we still do have our young guards if that does happen. And then not only that, but he can mentor them as well for when he leaves. We can bring Trey Lyles off the bench now, which is a role that he's probably better suited for. He can play that power forward or uh, small ball center role. We still have Bryn Forbes, which is, you know, a lights out shooter. One of their leading scorers right now. I think he's number three or four on their team. And if you want to start him at the two, you could too. But I, I would probably prefer to start Murray just because he's bigger and Chris Paul is shorter. And then you still got Damari Carroll that can probably carve out a role now because his minutes available. And then your first round pick, Keldon Johnson out of Kentucky, who played well in the summer league. You can see if he's able to kind of step in and find a role with this team. So I think with the Spurs, that makes them a lot tougher. You still do have a solid bench. You have great coaching. And now you pretty much shored up all the weaknesses. That makes them immensely better. And then let's look at um, Oklahoma City. So now Oklahoma City has freed up room for their star guard, who they acquired from the Los Angeles Clippers, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is averaging 20 already with Chris Paul there. You can move him to the two, let him just be the scorer that he wants to be because he is six foot six. You can put Dennis Schroeder at the one, DeMar DeRozan at the three, Daniil Gallinari at the four, Nerlens Noel at center. So now Gallinari can play the, that stretch four role. He's still going to get you 15-plus points a night, probably 20. DeMar DeRozan can play the three, and he can operate now in that post area because you don't have a scoring big man and you have a power forward who can step out and shoot the three consistently. Shea Gilgis-Alexander can slash the way that he wants to, and Dennis Schroeder can kind of you know pick up the pieces and you know be a facilitator or a scorer on a given night, depending on what the defense gives them. But now look at the bench that you have because of all the players you acquired from San Antonio. You got Terrence Ferguson, your young guy. You was able to keep him. You was able to keep Darius Baisley, who was another one of your young guys. Keep in mind, they're still in rebuild mode. Um, Hamadou Diallo, another one of their young guys that probably shouldn't be playing big minutes right now, but he is because they're not too competitive. You got Lonnie Walker IV now, so he can possibly be your shooting guard of the future alongside Shea Gilgis-Alexander. You got Yaka Perto, another young big. You got Marco Bellinelli for veteran leadership along with Patty Mills. If you guys are in a close game, you can easily insert those guys and they can help you win some games, giving your young guys some confidence. You have Mike Muscala, and I think that helps them immensely because now you got some expiring contracts on that team that you can get off. Um, you also have, you know, veterans on the team. So if you want to make a playoff run, you still could. But even if you wanted to go in rebuild mode, you have young pieces that you can kind of build around going forward. So that is the free game segment for this week. I think that I definitely, um, you know, found a scenario that improves both teams. And the reason why we have to include so many players from San Antonio is one, because why would OKC take the deal? You know, they're giving up two of their best players. It has to be sweet for them. They have to get good return on investment. And for the Spurs, it has to make sense in terms of why they're giving that up. What are they getting back? And it solves the, the goal for both teams. It makes the Spurs competitive right now, but it also gives OKC good talent in return to kind of build around for the future, but still make them competitive in the present. So let's go ahead and transition to quarter number three. 
and we're going to talk about some of the breakout stars that have been performing at a high level early in this NBA season. This past offseason was really, really, really busy, and we knew it would be some guys on new teams that will make you know, a, a really, really, really big impact, but it's been some guys this year that I honestly didn't see playing this well. And I know it's still early in the season, so it very well can tell off. But the guys that I picked, I don't, I don't think this is going to tell off. I think this is sustainable for the rest of the year. Um, and even if the stats aren't as high as they are right now, I think these guys are showing that at the very least, they're, they're going to be around for a long time. And they have the skill set to, to be effective contributors for an NBA team. So I'm going to get right into it. Um, I got a few guys on this on this roster that are, I mean, guards. You know, I got big men in here. I got a pretty good mix of, of players who have been surprising to me so far in the NBA season. So I'll go ahead and start uh, with a point guard. And this guy plays for the Charlotte Hornets. And he's not the one that they just paid this offseason. <laughs> I'm talking about Devontae Graham. Now, I watched him a lot at Kansas. Um, I also just found out. I, di- I didn't know he went to Brewster Academy with Donovan Mitchell. So I imagine in that backcourt, they used to tear motherfuckers up back in the day. But he is a, a big-time scorer at uh, Kansas. He made a lot of big shots, and he's shown that he can do that in the NBA too. Just hit a game winner over the weekend against the uh, New York Knicks. It was pretty crazy too because when I was watching that, um, I had the thought in my head. I'm like, maybe I should. I was, it was like two seconds left or whatever how much time was left, and I was like, I got the thought. I said, I should record this because I feel like something big is about to happen. And I wasn't going to do it. And my girl, uh, she gave me the, the inspiration. She was like, go ahead and do it. So I pulled my camera phone out. Camera phone? How fucking old am I? <laughs> I pulled the phone out. And uh, man, that, I, I'm sorry. I just sound like an 80-year-old man just now by saying that shit. I'm super trash for that. But anyway, um, I pulled my phone out. And I started recording. And he gets the ball. He Threw that bitch up, and it looked like he got fouled, too, and he knocked it down, and the crowd went crazy. I low-key thought about putting that one for my um, my sound of the week, too. I thought about doing a mashup with him and uh, Malik Monk because they both hit uh, game winners in back-to-back games, but I also feel like um, the last one, at least in New York, it was on the road, so the crowd didn't really – he kind of shut the crowd up. <laughs> so I wanted to play one with Luka just because he got everybody excited to sound good. But back to Devontae Graham, man, he's – He's leading his team in scoring right now at 18 points per game. I did not see this coming. I thought at best he might have been, you know, a guy that comes off the bench and maybe averaged seven to nine points. Like, he didn't have a big rookie season. And it wasn't because he wasn't playing, because he, he came off the bench behind uh, behind Kimball Walker, and he had opportunity to kind of, you know, play. But, of course, getting adjusted to the NBA game, you're not going to have it all figured out in your first season, so I get it. But he played 14 minutes per game last season. He shot 28% from the three-point line, and he played in 46 games. So that's a decent enough sample size, and he only averaged four points, 4.7, so five points. So he jumped from five points to 18, and his assists jumped from 2.6 assists to seven. So he's definitely, you know, I know this segment is not for most improved players, but in my mind, he's got to be like the leading candidate to win the award this year if he keeps this up for the whole season. But He's leading the team in points and assists. And I wonder how the, the Hornets organization feel, you know, being that they just paid Terry Rozier all that money and then Devontae Graham shows he's capable of this. Because they, you know, they could have shipped Kimba somewhere else 
and filled another need. You know, like they have a glaring need. They have a glaring hole at the big man spot. P.J. Washington, the rookie, is playing good at the four, so I get where they, they filled that in the draft, but they could have went after a big man. So that's got to hurt, man. But, I mean, I like Rozier, and hopefully they can push each other to kind of be like a dynamic one-two punch uh, in that backcourt. But I think uh, Devontae Graham definitely uh, lights out shooter. He's shooting 41% from the three-point line. One thing I would like to see him improve is uh, his ability to go to the basket. Still shooting 41% from the field, and a lot of his attempts come from the three-point line. Um, he can shoot the mid-range shot, and he's a really, really, really solid. Uh, he he's a really solid passer, and he has really good vision. He he plays like a, a guy who did four years at Kansas. So I get I get why he's having success with his ability to shoot the three. I honestly didn't think he would be this much better than Frank Mason coming out of college, but Frank Mason is super trash right now. But uh, I think Devontae Graham is definitely going to be somebody that's going to be around for a long time. And if it's not with the Charlotte Hornets, he's going he's gonna to continue to produce just because he can shoot the three, he can dribble the ball, he can find people. And whether it's as a starter or a backup, I think he's going to have a successful uh, career in the NBA. So moving on to number two, I got a guy we just talked about in the free game segment, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He's also leading his team in scoring. He's averaging 19.7, so basically 20 points per game. Three assists, five rebounds, uh, shooting 46% from the field. This guy is one of the most craftiest dudes in the league when it comes to finishing. I must have watched him play against the Golden State Warriors, and they're not the best, but some of the layups he was making, I'm like, how the hell did he even get it off, let alone make it? Like, he is It's crazy because when I watched him at, at Kentucky, and that one season he was there, he improved so much, and then he ended up going first round and playing for the Clippers. He... You know, he has the poise of like a a 10-year veteran, and he was leading that team in the playoffs. You know, they were really competitive against the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant. So I knew he would be solid, but I didn't know he would be this good this early. Because with that team, he was kind of like the floor general, you know, set guys up, score when when the defense gives it to you. But now he's a go-to scorer, and he's doing it as if like he was born to do that. So he uh, he's rebounding the ball. He's six foot six. He can defend. He's I think the biggest improvement in his game that I didn't see him ever really getting is a legitimate three-point shot. Right now, he's shooting 39% from the three-point line. I don't think that'll hold up for the whole season, but I do think he has a reliable enough shot to where it's a weapon. I don't think he's a close to 40% three-point shooter. I think that's a little false just because it's early in the season. He's starting off hot, but I do think he could be 35% plus. He kind of has a set shot, so it's not like he's really shooting it off the dribble. But he, he's really, really talented, man. And I think he's going to be one of the best young guards in the league for years to come. So uh, moving on to another guy that has also been putting the ball in the basket at a pretty efficient rate, Luke Kennard for the uh, the Detroit Pistons. Funny thing is two of these guys, uh, Devontae Graham and Luke Kennard, I'm playing them this week in fantasy. So I need them to kind of chill that shit out this week. <laughs> I, I love them, man. I want them to keep doing good because Luke Kennard is actually somebody – Early in the season, I previewed him, and I said he'll have a big year. I think he was um, ready to kind of step up and take on more minutes, and he had the skill set. Uh, he can shoot the three ball. He can score. He can put the ball on the floor at times. He, playing with the Twin Towers of Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond, shots are going to be open for you, and he's knocked them down efficiently so far. Shooting 41% from the uh, three-point line, close to 88% from the free throw, 45% from the field, and he's averaging 18 points, like – he is doing it, and I think this year he'll probably 
I think he'll average maybe 15, 16. I don't see him averaging 18 for the whole year. But nonetheless, I mean, that's a big improvement over last year. He was somebody that couldn't really carve out a consistent role. He was given minutes last year. He couldn't really beat out some of the, the veterans for, for a spot in the rotation. But this year, he, he's showing off, and he's one of their go-to guys on the perimeter along with Derrick Rose. And I think he's just capitalized with, with some of these guys missing time due to, due to injury, especially when Derrick Rose sits out, when Reggie Jackson, like I said, he's hurt right now, so he's missing time. So there really aren't too many options in that, uh, in that Detroit backcourt, and he's taking advantage of it completely. I like his size. He's about six foot five. He's left-handed. He has a quick trigger. I like Luke Kennard, and um, I hope he can continue the ball because I used to like him when he was even at Duke. So it's good to see him playing well. I knew he would be better than Grayson Allen in the league. I think he has uh, better size and just overall his game is, is better suited for the NBA. So moving on to another guy I got on here. Um, this is our first big man. So if you're familiar with the Phoenix Suns and how well they've been playing, you're probably familiar with Aaron Baines because he's had a lot to do with that. Uh, this guy is just... He's completely reshaped his game. When he was playing in uh, San Antonio is when I remember him most. I don't remember him shooting threes, and if he did, it was never this many. He's become a legitimate stretch five now, and he's shooting it as if he's Stephen Curry. <laughs> like, he is shooting it at a very, very, very efficient clip. He is taking advantage of the opportunity. DeAndre Aiden is missing 25 games due to, uh, you know, the suspension, of course. But he has stepped in and played admirably. Not only is he knocking shots down, but he's leading them to wins. He's doing what he's supposed to do on the inside. And I just, like I said, I'm just so surprised that he's shooting the three at this this level. Like, this year he's shooting 44% from the three-point line. Before that, he he was shooting shit. Shot 34% last year. Before that, he shot 14%, uh, 0%, 0%, 25%, 0 and 0. So, like, it wasn't even a part of his game. He's become a legitimate knockdown shooter, which is good in, um, in Phoenix because you got Kelly Oubre who likes to slash. You got Devin Booker who likes to slash and shoot. You got Ricky Rubio who's going to get to the middle of the defense and kind of kick out, and that's where Baines has been getting his money. Still um, could do a little bit better at the rebounding end, but I get it. He's hanging around that perimeter, so it's not a lot of opportunities for him to get boards. But even inside, he's all, together he's shooting 56% from the field. So you can't ask for too much more from a guy who was expected to come off the bench and just be like a, a role player. He's, he's being a legitimate starter. He's averaging 14 points, shooting lights out from the three-point line. So Aaron Baines has definitely shocked me. Uh, he continues to do it. At first, I was like, maybe this is just a couple games, but I think this is going to last all season. I can definitely see him getting paid in the offseason if Phoenix doesn't give him some money because um, I know Phoenix is obviously investing in DeAndre uh, Ayton, but I think Aaron Baines is somebody that Shit, just imagine how he can help, like, the Celtics right now. The Celtics are already good, but just imagine somebody like him, a big body down low that can rebound, that can shoot the three. He would be a perfect fit for them. So um, I, I like what, what Phoenix is doing down there. I think um, I think that they might have a chance to make the playoffs. I told you, I think they're for real this year. So we'll see how, how they hold up with DeAndre Aiden and Aaron Baines once he comes back into the fold. So um, moving on to another guard I got, I got Malcolm Brogdon. He is leading the Indiana Pacers in scoring. He was one of the most quiet free agent acquisitions of the summer. Nobody really talked much about him uh, leaving Milwaukee. And I think Milwaukee is going to miss him come playoff time because he was a knockdown shooter, plays defense, really does anything you ask of him. Like 
He was a two guard slash point guard for um for Milwaukee, won rookie of the year. Nobody really expected him to do that, but he did. And, you know, he was just solid, consistent. You always knew what you were going to get from him. And then now he goes to Indiana. Oladipo is down. They started him at point guard. This motherfucker's averaging 19 points and eight assists. Like, when did he become a 2010 guy? Like, <laughs> even at Virginia, I didn't know he had that ability. But he has one of the, the highest IQs in the game. Really smart guy. Um, like I said, he's leading the team in scoring and assists. I think he's top five in the NBA in assists. Shooting 46% from the field. His three-point percentage is only 30, 31%, but that's something that'll definitely go up, especially once Victor Oladipo returns and he gets some easy looks. But I expect that to be north of 35, 37%. And uh, Malcolm Brogdon, man, he's, he's surprised me. I, I knew he could score maybe 15, 18 points, but I didn't know he can get you this many assists. And still grabbing five rebounds, too, on top of being a solid defender. So watch out for Indiana. As long as he's in the fold with uh, Oladipo, you got TJ Warren, Jeremy Lamb, Sabonis, Miles Turner. That that's gonna be a sleepy team to watch out for um, come playoff time. And then free throw, free throw percentage. He's shooting ninety eight percent from the free throw line. And I always say this: usually guys who can shoot free throws really well are usually pretty good uh, three point percentage shooters. So, like I said, that percentage will go up. You can see it in his free throw stroke that he can shoot the ball. And then the final guy that we are gonna talk about in terms of um, just guys who have been bursting onto the scene, showing that they're here to stay and that they're going to be a, a household name for years to come. Bam Adebayo, man, for Miami Heat. Miami is one of the best teams in the league right now, and they probably have the least amount of notable names other than Jimmy Butler. Like, just look at their starting five. Kendrick Nunn, <laughs> you know what I mean? Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo. Like, they, they don't really start anybody that's, like, you know, a, a big-name guy. They just they are rugged. They get it out the mud, and I love watching them play. Because you know when you watch them, it's gonna be a uh, it's gonna be a gritty game. Like they're gonna muck it up. It's not gonna be, you know, one of those games where you see both teams scoring 150 points. Like they're gonna lock up. And if anything, they're scoring because they're locking the other team up. So I like seeing them and Bam Adebayo is the force down low. That is definitely the engine that keeps them going. Um, he's averaging 14 points, 10 and a half boards, shooting nearly 60 percent from the field. Um, I would like to see that free throw percentage go up. He's at 62%, but he's averaging nearly five assists. That's a part of his game that I didn't know he had. Um, I didn't know he could see the floor so well at the big man spot. And pretty much everybody on that team is unselfish, man. And he's, he reminds me of like a poor man's Dwight Howard. But he's the Dwight Howard that you would love to have because he accepts his role as like the complimentary player. So he's athletic, big body, he can set screens, he can rebound, he can protect the paint, he can finish. He is, like, the ideal big man for today's NBA. And if he ever gets a perimeter shot, because he has made a couple threes this year, but if he ever gets a consistent, uh, like, three-point stroke, he's going to be a, a, a force <laughs> to be reckoned with for years to come. So once again, I got Devontae Graham, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Luke Kennard, Aaron Baines, Malcolm Brogdon, and Bam Adebayo. Those guys have definitely grabbed my attention this year. And um, if you're looking for your best bet for most improved player. I'm pretty sure each and every one of these guys will be in the discussion. So before we get out of here, let's go ahead and transition to the final quarter of the day. And we are going to talk about the big name players. We talked about the surprises, but now we're talking about the, the people who we expect to produce. And we're going to talk about the ones who are producing at the highest level. So let's go ahead and check out the MVP favorites of this season so far. 
I've been super, super, super excited to get this segment underway just because I love talking about like superstar players. Like those are, are two of my favorite things. I like talking about young guys and I like talking about the guys who are already producing at a high level, especially because I, I like to see the young guys transition into that. And some of the people um, on this list are, you know, transitioning to, into superstar status. So um, I got five guys who I currently think are in the race for the MVP vote just so far um, at this point of the season. But I'll start off with some honorable mention guys. So three gentlemen who didn't make the list, but I mean, that can change throughout the course of the season, but they have been killing it. So I got to at least acknowledge them. Uh, Carl Anthony Towns for the, uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves. He is going crazy this year. He has them in a playoff race right now. Currently, they got the eighth best record in the Western Conference at eight and six. But like I said, um, I watched that game last night where they took on the Utah Jazz and handed them their first loss at home. He took over in the second half. And not only did he take over, but he did it against, um, you know, the best defensive player in the league and Rudy Gobert. So not only, you know, is he doing it against everyone else in the league, but he's shown that, you know, he can produce as well against somebody who is super, super talented at preventing people from scoring. So uh, I want to give him a shout out because he's having a big year. Uh, he's proven a lot of people wrong. He added that three-point shot to his uh, to his bag, and he's making it like, like I said, he hit a career-high seven yesterday. He's shooting it like, like a guard, <laughs> and he's making him like a guard too. So Cat's been going crazy this year. Uh, Devin Booker has been doing his thing so far for the Phoenix Suns. He also has them in a the playoff race. Always reference them being friends too. <laughs> that's something that that um is that's something that I think one day we'll see Carl Anthony Towns, Devin Booker, and D'Angelo Russell all on the same team. I don't know if they'll be in their prime, but I do think at, at one point in time we will see them all on the same team, and that'll be kind of be like the Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James version whenever it happens. But um, back to, to D book, man, he is lighting up scoreboards, leading his team to wins. Um, he said it two years ago, he's tired of not making the playoffs. It would be the last year he didn't make the playoffs. And last year he kind of, you know, didn't really hold up his end of the bargain. I mean, he held up his end of the bargain, but <laughs> the team still did bad. But this year he's kind of like taking on more of a leadership role and more so leading by example. He's uh, become more vocal. We saw him in the off season, you know, saying <laughs> it was one of the things we talked about on this episode too when people were trying to double team him in the offseason he was like come on dude we're trying to work out we're trying to work on our games i get double teamed in the regular season i'm not trying to do that in the offseason and everybody including myself shitted on him for being soft you know what i mean like come on man it's, it's you're gonna deal with it in the regular season you might as well practice for what you're gonna be uh facing but i shut the fuck up man because he had the formula because it's working for him right now and he's leading his team to victory so D-Book has been doing this thing, and uh, Kimball Walker is the final one I want to shout out because the Boston Celtics right now, they have the, they're tied with the Lakers for the best record in the league. And he's their leading scorer. He's on a new team. Uh, him and Jason Tatum are a great one-two punch. Jalen Brown has fit in nicely with them. Gordon Hayward. It's, it's definitely looking like Kyrie was the problem, unfortunately, um, because that team is doing well. Everybody is having career highs, like, Everybody is loving life in Boston right now, and Kyrie is the leader in Brooklyn, and so far they have been uh, struggling. So I hope that Kyrie can turn things around because I am a fan of uh, Uncle Drew, but right now Kimball Walker is definitely asserting himself in Boston and showing uh, why he got all that money and that he deserves it. 
Um, so now we'll go ahead and get into the top five guys in the MVP race for me right now. And I'll start with number five. Uh, we're going to go to Toronto. We're going to look at Pascal Siakam. So right now he is averaging close to 26 points per game, four assists, nearly nine rebounds, uh, shooting 47% from the field, 82% from the free throw line, which is something you really don't see with a lot of big men. So not only can you give him the ball late in games because he's shown that he can create his own shot, he's hitting step back threes now. It seems like every year he's getting better. And I think with like, I think foreign players more than anything, you see them reinvent themselves so much every year. And I know he he actually he went to New Mexico State. I was there with him, but he still kind of has that that foreign learning curve. And I don't know how to explain it, but it's like him, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, like they always come back every year a little stronger, but doing things that like, wait, when did you start doing that? You know what I mean? Like we know Pascal is going to do that patented spin move that he always does, but dribbling and shit and passing the ball and. You know, doing step backs now, it's like, okay, so he he's really he's really been working on his game. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back next year and averages six or seven assists. Like, that's what I mean, how they just reinvent themselves over the summer. So Pascal has been doing his thing. Not only has he been uh cooking himself, but they're they have the uh, fourth best record right now in the Eastern Conference, and that's without all-star point guard Kyle Lowry. So I think with uh Pascal, he's been carrying that team on his back. He's showing that he can be a true number one. I personally didn't think he could. I thought he would have to be a, um, and I still do, unfortunately. I think he's a, a number two on a championship team, but right now he's playing like a superstar. So, no, you know what? I'll change it. I, I stand corrected. I'll correct myself right now. Pascal is a number one on the championship caliber team. I just think you need to put some pieces around him, but he can be your best player um, on a championship caliber team. I think he's earned that now because not only does he do it on both ends of the floor, but it's really like no weakness in his game at this point. So, Pascal is, is, is going crazy. I think um, he's going to do it for the whole season because it's nobody that's going to stop him. And like I said, he's just on another level. And I like what I'm seeing from him as a leader. I'm seeing him being more vocal. I was watching a game yesterday when they blew out the Hornets and um young guy, Chris Boucher, came into the game. And um, I think he had fouled Bismack Biombo and Bismack got an and one. And you seen at the free throw line, uh, the young dude was kind of like frustrated that he had the foul called on him. But you seen Pascal talking to him across the free throw line, telling him how to contest it, you know, telling him ways to, to be more effective. So that's good to see because you need that because late in the stretch, Chris Boucher is going to be an important part of their team, you know, coming off the bench as a, a big man. So uh, let's go ahead and look at number four. And we're looking at last year's MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. So he is doing what he always does, bullying people, <laughs> getting to the rim, dunking. Uh, and right now he's averaging uh, 30 points, which is good for second in the league. He is still dishing out six assists. The reason why I have him at number four is because he's carrying this team right now with Chris Middleton out. And right now they have the second best record in the in the Eastern Conference at 10 and three. And that's that's a large part due to him. It's like he's completely unstoppable. Every time I watch him play, there's nobody that can stand in his way. Really, the only thing stopping him is the three-point line <laughs> and sometimes the free throw line because he's shooting 61% from the free throw line right now. He got to clean that up. But uh, he's still still getting a little better at the three-point line. I'm, I'm realizing he found a sweet spot at the top of the key. That's where he likes to shoot it. If you give him the space, he's not afraid to take it. And that's the first step. You can't be afraid to take it. Like, he can miss the shot, yeah, but it's the confidence. And if he has that confidence to take it, we might not see him get shut down the way we did last uh, – 
and I wouldn't even say shut down because he didn't get shut down against Kawhi Leonard. I don't know why people say that. He just uh, he definitely didn't dominate, and I think we're just so used to seeing him dominate that when he doesn't, it's it's looked at as like he's shut down. But um, kudos to him on constantly, you know, fixing up his game. He's shooting fifty eight percent from the field. 32% from the three-point line, and he's averaging 14 rebounds, which is good for second in the league. So the Greek freak is going to continue to do that. Um, I just think if he ever gets a three-point shot that's consistent, he, he's going to easily be the best player in the league. But um, right now he's still working on that. So now we are in the top three. So before I get into the top three, if you're not following me, if you wasn't listening to this whole episode, listen now. <laughs> Talking to you like I'm your parent and shit, but – Go to Twitter, Instagram, follow me at Hoopfacts, H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. Again, that is H-O-O-P underscore underscore F-A-C-T-S. Had to slow it down for the people in the back. But number three, man, I got Luka Doncic. And this was one of the players, him and Pascal are some of the ones I was talking about that are transitioning into superstar status. Like, Luka's averaging 29 points, 9 assists, 11 boards. Such fucking triple-double. Like, He's only 20 years old. He's in his second year in the league, and he's doing this. One of the things I love about his game is that he's raising his percentages. He's shooting 48% from the field, still 32% from the three-point line, but I know he can hit that shot, so I'm not really worried about that, and 81% from the free-throw line. This guy has no weakness. Like, maybe on-ball defense, but even still, he's not bad. You know what I mean? He's not somebody that you can just attack. Um, but at the same time, man, he, he has a big body. He's strong. He can finish. He can do everything. He, he doesn't have any weaknesses either. And it's like these players nowadays are coming into the league so complete that it's like, man, it's, it's like a bunch of mini LeBron James running around. <laughs> but Luka, the only reason he's not higher on this list, because from a statistical standpoint, he's probably the best in the league right now. Uh, but the only reason he's not higher is just because he's carrying that Dallas team. But usually the MVP goes to like the best player on the best team. So I don't think the Dallas Mavericks are going to be the best team. I think they'll make the playoffs. But um, I just don't know what seed they'll squeeze in. And I honestly think he could sustain this for the duration of the season. I think he's can legitimately average close to a triple-double, if not a triple-double all year. He has been a triple-double threat since walking into the league last year, and I don't see any reason why that would change. Right now the Dallas Mavericks are 8-5, and five, and he has a lot. He is pretty much all the reason to do with that. Him and KP, of course, Porzingis, and some of the other guys on that squad. But he is a force to be reckoned with. He's already somebody that – defenses could game plan and stay up all night for and they still won't figure it out so let's go ahead and look at the final two it's only two people left man so who are they gonna be number two we got a couple of people i didn't say i haven't mentioned Kawhi leonard um who else have i not mentioned trey young who's been going off haven't mentioned jason tatum haven't mentioned jimmy butler who's leading that team uh you know to a tremendous start but number two i'm going with james harden man the beard Right now, he is first in the league in scoring at 39 points per game. He's averaging eight assists, six rebounds. Shooting 42% from the field, which isn't – it's not the greatest, but when you consider he's taking like 100 shots a game, <laughs> it's pretty good. Still shooting 34% from the uh, three-point line and 88% from the free throw line. James Harden is a scorer extraordinaire. Just uh, yesterday, Russell Westbrook was talking to the media and he said that people have to um, stop acting like what he's doing is normal because it's not normal. And if anybody can do it, they would. And I understand that. I, I agree and I don't agree because everybody also doesn't have the luxury to play under a Mike D'Antoni offense to where you can shoot 100 shots. The other night when I referenced that, when I said he shot 22 threes, 
He took 41 shot attempts, which I think was a career high for him. If you take 41 shots, you better have more than 40 points, especially when you consider he gets to the free throw line a lot. So I think, yeah, it's prolific, the scoring that he's uh, doing at this, at this stage of his career. But at the same time, it's like, dude, nobody has ever been shooting the ball this much. So I would like to think you will score, you know what I mean, the, the points will be following behind it. But the reason why I have him so high on this list is not even for all the scoring. It's for the fact that he's carrying his team to wins. Right now, they're 11-3. and three. So that, that's more of, like I said, the MVPs is usually on the, the best player on the best team. And last year, he very well could have won MVP. He's always going to be in the discussion for MVP as long as the Rockets are competitive because his stats are always going to be there as long as he plays under Mike D'Antoni. And just in general, he's, he's a stat sheet stuffer. But 40 points... I think he might be able to average 40 this year, and I'm not even capping. Like, James Harden might average 40 this year, and if he does it, it, it wouldn't surprise me. And it's it's not even going to be that crazy to me. Like, Russell Westbrook averaging a triple-double is far more impressive to me than him averaging 40 points while taking 40 shots a game. So I think James Harden, uh, I, I just want to see him get over the hump and finally get this team to a place where they can make it to the finals with him as the leader. But um, well, it remains to be seen. And right now, him and Westbrook are still – I think yesterday was, like, the first game I've seen where, like, they both had it going against a solid team, and, you know, they won. Yesterday, Russell had a triple-double, and James Harden had 36 on, like, 11 of 19 shooting. So it's crazy when a guy scores 36, and that brings his average down. <laughs> so now we just got one more player left. Who can it be? It's King James, man. Right now, he is the leader in my mind for MVP. Um, he's averaging 25 points per game, uh, dishing out 11 assists, which is first in the league. G Diamond told you guys, he came on this on this podcast a few weeks ago and said LeBron James will lead the league in assists. And right now he's doing it, and I don't see him stopping anytime soon. This is what we always knew LeBron could do, but he's playing that point guard role, and he's doing it like everybody knew he could. He's already been considered one of the best point guards, and he was never playing point guard. So now you put him in that position – and you just ask him to facilitate and you give him, you know, all these knockdown shooters, all these finishers with Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee, um, Dwight Howard. You know, of course he's going to find them and of course they're going to finish because these are veterans that have been doing this for a long time, getting paid a lot of money to finish and knock down big shots. When you look at like Danny Green, Avery Bradley, um, even Quinn Cook, you know what I mean? Like they, Kyle Kuzma, they got a lot of pieces on that team and a lot of pieces that work well together. And LeBron James is definitely the ringleader of the show. Uh, still averaging close to eight rebounds, shooting 49% from the field. Uh, even that free throw percentage is not too bad. It's at 72%. percent like to see it a little higher, but at the same time, he hasn't really cost them too many games, uh, too many big games so far. So I think King James is, is definitely in a driver's seat for that MVP trophy. If he wins another one at uh, this stage of his career, it definitely adds to his legacy. Um, as in terms of being looked at as the best player of all time. And I already kind of think he's, you know, right on Jordan's ass for that, for that, uh, for those honors. I don't think he's quite there yet, but if he wins the championship right now, um, you know, wins MVP, wins finals MVP, it's definitely going to help his case. And I, one of the things I love about LeBron this year is that he stepped it up on the defensive end because that was one of the biggest knocks on his game last year. And I think a part of it is because he knew that they weren't really, unfortunately, planned for anything, so why risk it? But he's averaging almost a block over a steal. Like, he's, he's doing his thing. And one of the things that I want to mention real quick, how about my pick for defensive player of the year right now, Anthony Davis? 
He is averaging 3.2 3. blocks and 1.2 steals, holding down that paint just like I said he would. And um, right now my pick, at least for that, is looking good because some of my other ones ain't. <laughs> but there you have it. Uh, I got LeBron James as my leading candidate for most, um, MVP right now. And uh, James Harden behind Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Spicy P. Pascal Siakam. So there it is, you guys. That is another episode of the ISO podcast. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope you had a lot of fun. Right before we get out of here, I'm going to play some new music from Dave East. Yes, this will be the first time that um, on the ISO podcast we played somebody back-to-back. I played different artists the entire time, but I've really been uh, feeling this album, and I told you it's kind of right up my alley in terms of lyricism and just the sound. But um, if you haven't heard it already, uh, the album is already out. It's called Survival. The track I'm going to play on here was actually the single for... uh, for that album, and it features Nas. It's called Godfather 4, but I like the beat to it. Just some real smooth, laid-back kind of uh, New York shit, and I just fuck with it heavy. So I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. hope you like this track. Once again, it's called Godfather 4, and uh, we will be back next week. We'll know what Carmelo did in his first game because he is going to take the floor tonight with the Portland Trailblazers. So I'm excited, man. I am off work tonight, so I'll be able to sit back and watch the game and really dissect it to see how he fits in with this club, and we'll have a lot of um, a lot of things to talk about the next time we meet up. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, you know, thank you. Thank you once again. I appreciate the home team, all the love we've been receiving. The content continues to uh, to, to get better as I'm, I'm learning my way, and, you know, I'm enjoying all the feedback I'm getting from all the fans, and it's continuing to grow, man. We got more and more people listening every week, so continue to spread the word, continue to stay out of trouble, be safe, and until next time, y'all, peace. Chicago, you're still shooting up. In Boston, y'all still shooting up. In Queensbridge, stay shooting up. Even in Wichita, it's wicked. You see a mic stand lit up under the spotlight, a silhouette of a man slaying beats that knock right. I treasure whenever niggas or rhetoricals hit orchestral tracks and nail it. Smooth black velvet and rap intelligent, but then it's just a low percent who blow on some knives big and over shit. No offense, but I was over with finding young spitters whose names I remember. Day, Day. 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 this and your idols kill your future unless your idols souped up. Jamaica Ab Nas, Cherry Drop cooped up Still hitting clubs, grimy niggas occasionally shoot up Bang, bang, pow, pow, these snorters still toot up My dad, granddad came to my cousin through a psychic I don't really like it, pay prices for afterlife advice Gets kinda double jumble, prefer to take my chances Who gets out alive? Nobody got the answers All we got is questions I told my bitch, she hit the genetic lottery Love it when she lied to me A friendship is built over time And trust too but trust is a contract that constantly needs to be renewed For peace and solitude, peace and solitude, peace and solitude Trust me and love me, I trust you and love you Could you, could you, could you really show love? Like a tree falling in the middle of the forest Nobody heard your shit drop, it's really garbage How come rappers you claiming I got my style from? Never power and temp for my mint No this to them men who got it in This is now, that was then Different style, different bends As clear as a difference you resorting to, uh
distorting the truth. Grind, my offspring, these youths walk in my shoes. Yo, big bro, I'm from the ice pick era. Light skin terror, thought I could sell this dope until my life get better. Hieroglyphics got them tatted on us, so it's hard to miss us. Reminiscing my uncle sniffing the Lionel Richie, soul train over breakfast. Lexus across the trap barrel, they not thorough. How you, my brother, you not thorough. Soul train over breakfast, Lexus across the trap barrel. You not thorough, you not my brother, you not jungle. A whisper of death, a kiss of life. From Sade lips, my wish for life. My neck wearing exotic material, so excited I'm still here with you. I cried about it with a sinister smile. What's notable, I've been winning a while. I'm a dazzler, ancient astronaut from the Dogon tribe. Gangster tatted up, time traveler nines. How I'm unraveling this major paper and blast niggas like a navy laser. System activated, board the cabin orderly fashion. I'm glad you made it. I'm the captain, flight time, three minutes. Won't be serving lunch or dinner. Your comfort is my concern. You could burn it if you feel it We'll be cruising at 40,000 feet Your in-flight movie is Godfather 4 Starring me and Dave East First class for the whole flight Go ahead and lean your seat back No lunch or dinner menu But got champagne if you drink that Stewardess is Mato's gelato You can bring it on the pilot cool I snuck in the cabin so I could see the storm Joe Clark, the one that they leaning on I just took my shoes off Shorty across the aisle look like Lena Horn 40,000 feet, my Wi-Fi still cracking You niggas is still packing This flight about the land Pick your seat up, secure your area Clean up your mess Half the seats, Louis Vuitton We double G'd up the rest We don't even acknowledge the ones you seem to impress Don't forget your charger We can fly whenever, be my guest